Okay, well, it's great to be together, and uh, what a great time worshipping God already together. And I, I know he's already started speaking to us, and hopefully he's going to carry on doing that as we look at the Bible. We're going to be in John's Gospel together. Uh, we're going to do quite a bit of Bible hopping today. So um, if you're normally someone who just thinks, won't read it, it'll come up on the screen. It's not all going to be on the screen today. So if you have a Bible and want to grab it, that'd be great. Or there's some at the back. If you wanted to take a moment to get one, you're welcome. Or you might just think, I'm quite happy to listen. I trust what you're reading is from the Bible, in which case, great, let's go. I can take your, you can take my word for it. Uh, So we're in John's Gospel and we're doing um, part five of our six-week teaching series looking at God the Father. Um, we've been learning and looking at God, God in John's gospel from the mouth of Jesus and learning about how he is uh, a father and how God was a father since before time began. Since eternity passed, God has always been, eternally been, eternally is, eternally will be father. And actually we, earthly fathers, get our name from him, not the other way around, and us human beings relate to him not just as Lord and God but as Father especially so if we're Christians and today the question that I'm wanting to engage with and look at is the question does God love us does God love us does God like us and you might think well that is an obvious question I'm a lovable guy (laughs) I'm a lovable girl or if I was to say God loves you some of you might say of course Of course, I'm lovely, but it's my suspicion that for many of us, for most of us, for several reasons, all of us in the core of our being have ideas about God that are less than favorable. We, sometimes when we do things wrong, we stay away from God. If we miss church for two weeks or three weeks, we think, oh, God won't like me very much. Or if we don't pray for a while, we come to God and say, hello, I'm sorry I haven't prayed. Please don't hate me. And, and maybe you don't, you're not like that. But I think within many of us, there's a sense of, I, I know he loves me, right? <laughs> but I don't know if he likes me. And I don't know if I'm allowed to kind of be confident around him or casual around him so we're going to look at that together not just does God love me but the big human question am I accepted and am I loved Um, life the world around me doesn't always treat me very favorably and I can often find myself thinking I'm not sure the personality behind the world likes me because the world is pretty brutal and pretty hard and so looking at this question does God love me does God like me Although many of us would say, yes, I think he does. I think we have some problems to work through together and some things that make it difficult for us to appreciate and enjoy the love of God. Oh, I should say, actually, before I I get too far into this, um, I have a a picture up here I wanted to show you. (laughs) Now feels like a complete, like going back to the beginning. Anyway, a picture I wanted to show you from someone that um, Amy and I met this week, which is very nice. We're having another baby, which is lovely. So thank you very much. Um, yes, she's 12 weeks as of Friday, and the baby is due on May the 2nd, just two days off Star Wars Day. I was pretty gutted. I was hoping for May the 4th, uh, but never mind. May the 2nd it is, so we're thrilled about that. Okay, so back in. <laughs> Sorry, that I told you. That was a bit of a tangent. I meant to mention that before I started talking, and then my mouth just starts going. You, some of you know what it's like to have that problem. Um, right, okay. So the problems that we have in understanding that God loves us is, number one, that we're sinners. Number two, that the world is cursed. And number three, that our perception of God, as a result of number one and two, is often kind of skewed a bit. We are sinners. 
Um, which when I say that word, some of us put shutters down and we get like, oh, that's a religious, archaic idea. Sinners, really? But the Bible presents uh, a picture of the world and the universe and the relationship between us and God that says, no, we have been separated from God. God created us to know him, to love him, to live with him. And the, our forebearers, the original humans decided, I'm not going to do that. And on our behalf, on your behalf, took us in a direction as a species that meant that ever since what they did, we have lived separated from God, estranged from him, enemies of God. The Bible's word for it is sinners. Um, God is king. He is the king over all things. We are citizens in a kingdom. And many of us live as though, or all of us live as though we aren't citizens in a kingdom. We live as though we are kings and queens ourselves. Um, another word for that is treason. <laughs> we are people who've committed high treason against the king. And because we live in a democracy, we find it hard to understand exactly how serious this is. We think, I get a right to vote, I have a say in society. But when it comes to life, God is king and we are members of a kingdom, although we live like we're not. And a crime is, is measured by whom you, who've, you've, who you've committed it against, isn't it? So if you, after today, uh, came up here and punched me in the face, um, I might not thank you for it, but you wouldn't get in much trouble other than that. Um, if, however, on your way home today, the police pulled you over and you punched, them in, punched the policeman in the face, it's the same crime, but a different reaction. You'd probably spend a night behind bars. If you took it to a judge and said, I'm not going to stay behind bars and take it to a judge and punch the judge in the face, even worse. Punch David Cameron in the face, even worse. And then if, what if you punch Barack Obama, the ruler of everything in the world, the most powerful man in the world? Even more trouble. The same crime, punching someone, but it's who you're committed it against. As human beings, we've committed a crime against the God of the universe and as such deserve punishment. That God would be well within his rights to just scrap up this whole thing and say, you're all punished forever. He would be well within his rights to do that because we are sinners. Secondly, the world is cursed. Um, despite your ability to make lists and to tidy your house, <laughs> chaos reigns all the time. And you're never far away from chaos and a messy home and a messy life. Because death reigns, chaos reigns. And as we've hinted at already, the world is often um, conspiring against us to convince us or to try to convince us that God doesn't love us. In fact, the Bible goes further and says that there is a God in this age, the enemy himself, who's out to destroy you, destroy your life, and out to make sure that you're deceived and never hear the truth that your Father loves you, that God loves you. And thirdly, our perception of God is all out of whack, really as a result of those first two problems. So we're going to engage with some of those problems and look at what, how what Jesus has to say helps us with these issues. Uh, John 16, verses 25 to 28, I'll be reading from today. So let's, um, let's crack on with, with John. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. That's the stuff he's just said that we haven't read. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus says the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. 
And so that's, that's, those are the verses that we're spending time in, hoping actually as we look at them, we're going to become convinced from Jesus that this is what God's like. We're familiar. Throughout John's Gospel, Jesus has talked about the fact that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. That's not new to us. Like God loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. We get that. He says it around 10 times in John's Gospel alone. But here, in most, one of the most emphatic ways he can, Jesus says to his followers, the Father himself loves you, loves you. We want to allow that to sink in as much as we can. But before we enjoy that and kind of go, oh, that's great, because of our first problem, because of the fact that, um, no, our third problem, sorry, because of the fact that God, our perception of God is wrong, we need to understand, we need to get clear on who exactly God is before we can get excited about the fact that the Father loves us. Now, I'm sure, like, like many of you, um, I had ideas of God growing up, and it was largely this guy. I just figured that's what God looked like, um, and I imagined him in heaven with uh, some TV screens in front of him watching our lives unfold, and being told that this man loves you is like, well, it's a bit weird, really, watching my life on TV. It's a little bit creepy, <laughs> if I'm honest, uh, but for many of us, that's our perception of God. He's a man in the sky with a big beard, looks a little bit like Santa Claus. Uh, he's very distant. Um, actually, he's, he's not always friendly, so he's not often, he's like, this isn't he and that's our common image of God uh, we, we've shown this picture before but this next one is a, a medieval painting that for, for many of us that's our idea of God and I, I, and I know you're, you're church people you're Christians so you wouldn't perceive of God like that but if you're honest with yourself often in your gut there's still those shadowy mysterious head teacher type God figures lurking that often the way that the world teaches us to think about God and the way that experience teaches us to think about God is that he's more like that than he is like how Jesus responds and teaches us. In the Old Testament, there's, um, there's several different names that the Old Testament uses, Hebrew names, um, to describe God's nature. In the first chapter of Genesis, God is, um, the Hebrew word for God there is Elohim, which is about the creator, powerful God. In chapter 2, he's called uh, the Lord God. So he goes from just Elohim, Elohim said, Elohim said, to suddenly Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh is the covenant name of God, the promise-keeping personal name of God. And throughout the Old Testament, there's many different names of God, that God is our peace, Yahweh Shalom, or, or God is our provider, Yahweh Jireh. And, and when I first became a Christian, I was in several prayer meetings with people who loved using the Hebrew names of God. There's nothing wrong with that. It's very helpful for many people. But as a new Christian, I was quite confused because they would pray and they'd say, Oh, I thank you that you are Yahweh Jireh and Yahweh Provider and Yahweh Mekadishkem and Yahweh Rapha. And I'm like, Wow, all these names about God. You speak Hebrew? No, I just know this word. Yahweh Mekadishkem, Yahweh Rapha, Yahweh Nisi, my banner, Jehovah. And I'll be like, Whoa, these guys are really impressive people. Because <laughs> they know this ooh, like magical words for God. Which, which name do I need to use to get this out of the slot machine? Is how I would think as a kid. A kid, a new Christian. And, um, and it was pointed out to me recently that actually Jesus, knowing all of the Hebrew, <laughs> when he comes, he, he approaches God and he just says, Father, Father. And, um, and Jesus could have said, oh, when you pray, talk to, well, it depends what you need, but talk to Yahweh, Jireh, Yahweh, Mekadishkem, Nisi, Rafa, could have used all these names, Elohim. But he didn't, he says, Father, call him Father. And as good as the names of God can be to help us understand different aspects of God's personality, the most definitive understanding of who and what God is and what he's like is Father. 
but as a father, what exactly is he like? Um, well, Jesus, in this passage that we read, he describes dying. He talks about going to the cross, and he says, I'm going to be with the Father, um, which is his way of saying, I'm going to die. But he doesn't say, I'm going to die. He doesn't say, I'm going to pass away. I'm going to a better place. He's not a sentimental Englishman. Jesus knows that death is more about going to be with the Father. And for Jesus, that's a good thing. He's enthusiastic about that. He's not just being absolved into the ether. He's going to be with the, the personal God, his dad. Time and time again, Jesus has revealed that the Father is generous, life-giving, loving, overflowing, enthusiastic, communicative. Or to put it negatively, Jesus has revealed the Father as being someone who's not idle and lazy, who's not glum, who's not a fun stealer, who's not, I don't know, who's, who's not distant and remote. One of my favorite verses in the uh, Old Testament is this one here. In, in the prophet Zephaniah says this about God. It says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That God is a God who when he sees you, he sings. And I like to picture that God is not just a singer. He's a dancer as well. And he's like, oh, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so pleased with you. And he's dancing and a little bit less like a dad dance because it's a little bit awkward. That you go, oh, it's embarrassing. But he's a dad. And so maybe God is a dad dancer. But he sees us and he's busting out the moves going, I love you. I'm thrilled with you. My heart bursts with delight for you. That's an Old Testament picture of God. And then Jesus comes along and says, this dancing, singing, beatboxing father who just loves his children... Okay, so <laughs> carried away. He's a father as well. He's a father as well. So hearing that from the mouth of Jesus helps us. Actually, we can cross out our, our, our wrong perception of God. Whatever he is, he's our dad. Whatever he is, he's loving towards us. He rejoices over us. So that means, I mean, we're, many of us are Christians, right? And yet I have this experience that when I do something wrong, I suddenly, I feel like God hates me. When I, before I became a Christian, right, the, the message was God loves you as you are and he's willing to forgive you whatever you've done. And you go, yippee, because I'm a wretch. Great, I've got loads of things I've done wrong. I'll become a Christian. And it's like you get your slate wiped clean. You're like, I'm brand new again. And then you do something wrong. He's like, oh no, I bet he hates me. I bet he doesn't like me anymore. You're like, well, no, he loved you when you were like this. So now that you're still like that, he still loves you. And yet so often in the way we respond to God reveals that we think about God more as the the headmaster painting God than the father of our Lord Jesus Christ who dances over us. That's what he does. So let's look at those first two problems that we've got though. Because we're still sinners and the world is still against us. Well, Jesus says this in what we read in verse 26. In that day, you will ask in my name. Jesus gives us sinners the name by which we can approach him. Given that we're sinners, you might think, how can I come to a loving God? How can I come to that God? Because I'm a sinner. Jesus says here, when you come, you can come in my name. You can use my name. Uh, he says, I won't ask you, I won't ask the Father for things on your behalf. You'll be able to come in for yourself. When we pray, it's not like we say, oh, Jesus, can you just tell, ask your dad for this? Jesus is like, no, you ask him for yourself. See, Jesus, the Son of God, is so loved by his Father, you mention his name and heaven sits up, takes note. 
You're coming on be- on the na- in the name of Jesus? You want me to listen to you for Jesus' sake? One writer in church history said this, you have the heart of God as soon as you place before him the name of the Son. As soon as you come to God, sinners as we are, and as soon as you say, I'm coming in the name of Jesus, heaven's like, welcome, you can come in. I have, I have this supernatural Spider-Man-like gift that when Amy and I are out and about, um, if, if someone in the vicinity of a quarter of a mile radius mentions the name church or Jesus or says church, I'm like, what is that? There might be another Christian around here. It's, it's, quite, it's quite supernatural, I think, which is weird. Um, but I, I kind of have this sense because, like many of us, I live with this inferiority complex. I think, oh, I'm the only Christian in the village. I'm the only Christian on the planet. And so when I'm out and I hear someone talk about church and Jesus, I'm like, there's another one of us. My ears are trained into this. It's a bit like, you know, not just in that level, but when you're in a room and someone uses your name, you're like, they're talking about me. What are you saying? (laughs) Because our ears are programmed to hear that. Or like um, girls, when they get engaged, (laughs) they get this kind of rock on their fingers, don't they? And they just kind of stand there like, I'm just going to leave that out there to see if anyone notices. Just going to pop that on the table, see if anyone notices. Or like recently with Amy, I'm like, Amy's feeling sick in the morning a lot. in the morning and you kind of drop clues around don't you? like just listen in it's a bit like that with the name of Jesus <laughs> just gonna, I'm going to come on the name and I'm going to come in the name of Jesus and suddenly the father's like what you said my son's name you're coming in his name but the name of Jesus isn't it's not like a spell you know it's not like when I pray I'll have the eye of a newt and some frog's legs oh and the name of Jesus for good measure mix that all up it's not like that at all and it's not like a signature on a petition either I really want a brand new Ferrari Lip, can I get MZZ's signature do you think it's okay oh and Jesus if I can have your signature as well so when I go to God and say I've got Jesus's signature he's gonna have to let me have the Ferrari that's not how it works either unfortunately um coming in the name of Jesus is coming on the basis of the finished work of Jesus and the things that Jesus has done in our place. Jesus' name is not a signature, it's our status, that we are those who have the authority and reputation of the Son and we get to use that whenever we want. Often when we pray, we say, in the name of Jesus, I ask this. You don't have to use that phrase. Uh, when I, often when I pray, I don't use that phrase. I don't, I don't do this and throw some garlic over my shoulder and then say, in the name of Jesus, for good measure. I don't. But the life that we live as Christians, we live in the name of Jesus. In other words, when we come as sinners before a loving Father, we come on the basis of the Son's work as we've been singing about the cross When I come, I plead only the name of Jesus and the finished work of Jesus. He's my only hope. And I come in his name. There's a story that's often told on the Alpha Course about a wealthy man who was an art collector. Had lots of famous paintings in his collection. And um, and he died suddenly. And they had an auction where they were going to sell off the paintings that this man had collected throughout his life. Paintings worth millions and millions of pounds. And so all the great and the good of the art world came to see these paintings and to buy them. And the guy, the auctioneer, the guy that was leading the proceedings, he, he read out from the, the dead man's will and said that the first clause states that we must sell this painting first. And it was a painting of his beloved son. 
his son who had died while he was just a small boy. And it wasn't a particularly good painting. Uh, I think it might have been one that the, 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 paint, the art collector himself had drawn. And it wasn't particularly impressive. And so everyone kind of looked at this painting and no one really wanted to buy it. They kind of looked, stared at the floor and the auctioneer started, can I see a thousand for this? And no one did. And can I see this? Can I see this? And whittled the price down and down and down. Till eventually he said, can I see 50 pounds for this? And a guy at the back who'd been a caretaker in the home of this son growing up, he said, I'll buy it. And he was thrilled because he got to buy the painting of the son and he didn't think he'd be able to afford it. So he got the painting of the son and then the, the auctioneer read on and said, well, the second clause from this man's will states that whoever buys the son gets the lot. Whoever gets the son gets all the other paintings thrown in for free. He gets the painting of the beloved son. It's a bit like that when we come to God. We come filthy with all of our sin and shame. But we come in the name of the Son. And the Father says, whoever comes with the Son gets everything else thrown in as well. So sinners though we are, we can come. Jesus says, in my name. But more excitingly, if you like, as exciting as that is, Jesus says quite emphatically, the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. Sinners though we are, rebels though you are, we are. We come in the name of the Son to a Father who loves us. Which means that, going back to here, we can cross out this first idea. (laughs) That's not a problem for us anymore because you're loved by the Father. He's for you. He loves you. But that doesn't stir many of us to periods of enthusiasm and overexcitement because there's still a creeping suspicion in the back of our minds. He only loves us because of the Son. He doesn't like me for me. He just tolerates me because he loves the Son. I don't know if you've ever had that problem or, or thought of that question. Amy and I were talking about this a few months ago, just wrestling, saying, I know God loves me, but if I'm honest, I feel like he just loves me because I'm I'm in the sun, and that's great, but I want to be loved for me, not just by default. And so I want us to work through that objection and that concern together as well. Jesus says, the Father himself loves you, okay? But then he doesn't finish there. He says, the Father himself loves you because you love the Son. And as I read a verse like this, I think to myself, Jesus has just told his disciples that the Father loves them. What gives me the right to find myself on the receiving end of that statement because he's speaking to his disciples. So how am I allowed to stand there and go, oh, I'll take that for myself, thank you very much. Well, it's in the second part where Jesus says, because you love me. He's talking to his disciples. So if you love the Son, you're facing the direction of affection for the Son. The Father sees and says, I love you as well. So we can enjoy the Father's love because of that. But this is where we're going to get to our Bible hopping bit. Because I want us to work through this question together of whether or not the Father loves us really or if he just kind of tolerates us. So I'm just going to skip to some of these Bible verses. We're going to start with 1 John, which is a letter written by the Apostle John who wrote this book to a church that he was a pastor of. And in 1 John 4 verse 8, he says this, Anyone who does not love does not know God because, this is the phrase that's very famous, God is love. God is love. You want a definition of love? It's God. Love comes from God because God is the source of love and he himself is love. So our first basis that we know that God loves us is because he's love. 
which is great. That's brilliant news. But at the same time, my cynical heart goes, ah, so he just loves me because he has to. <laughs> By default, he loves me because he's, he's loving. He can't help but love. I don't feel very special still. I still feel like I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and I'm only here because of, well, that's true. You're only here because of Jesus. But how do I? So, so let's go further, okay? John 3, verse 16. Um, I shouldn't have to read this but because I'm sure we all know it off by heart. But just to make sure we're not making it up. John 3 verse 16, Jesus says this, For God so loved the world, or as it should be translated, For in this way God loved the world, <laughs> that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So we've seen that God's character is that one of love, but God's bias towards the world is that he loves the world. He's not a furious, angry God when he looks at the people of the world. Because we might have the temptation of thinking, he's love, but he hates us because we're sinners and he's angry at us. Well, you can be angry at the sin and love the sinner. As we've said before, a mother hates the disease that takes the life of her child because she loves her child so much. God hates sin because he loves us. God loves the world. Which, again, we go, I know that. But you walk, up, you walk past people in the street, and every person that you walk past is someone that God loves with a passionate, burning, furious love. He loves them to the extent that he sent his son. And often the way Christians behave towards people who aren't Christians is that God doesn't really love them he, he really just wants to make sure they, become to, they come to church and start living properly. And I don't think that, but often the way we behave betrays that. But God loves the people you're sitting around, loves the people you work with. He's passionate about them. He's for them. He desires them. And he sent his son for them. Ephesians 5, verse 25. This is written by Paul, who's writing to a, a church that he started. And uh, he's talking about marriage, but he gives us an insight into the love of God when he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What we see is that although God loves the world, there's also, I don't know if this is a real world, real word, God has an especial love, like especially, he especially loves the church. He has an especial love. So, Again, this might be a, a strange idea for many of us, but it, it, it ought not to be. Because I could tell you, and it wouldn't be wrong or weird, I could say, I love all the children in the world. I've got such a big heart. I just love kids and the chaos and noise that they bring while we're trying to sing. I just love it. <laughs> but I especially love my children. <laughs> Don't be offended. I especially love my two. And you wouldn't get really angry. You wouldn't say, that's so rude and so wrong of you. How can you say that? But because you, you understand, oh, I get it. There's a different type of love. God loves the world, but he especially loves the church. And who's the church? It's all those who've come in the name of the Son, who love the Son. If you love the Son of God, you're part of the church. God especially loves the church. Okay, next one. God's intimacy, Matthew 10, 30. Let's jump to this one. Again, talking to disciples, Jesus takes the general love of God and earths it that much more in the lives of the people that he's talking to when he says these words that many of us have heard and know very well, Matthew 10, 30, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Even the hairs of your head, because the Father loves you. Jesus says the Father's numbered the hairs of hair. hair and yeah, he's done that to you. He, he loves you that much that he's taken time to count them. Some of you are thinking, well, that's no big deal. There's not many left. My wife can count them. Um, but he loves you that much. And it's an especial love for the church, and it finds its intimacy in that. Next one, John 6, verse 44. And this is where we start to get on slightly more controversial grounds. Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God's love reveals itself in that he chooses you. He chooses you. So we've started big. God is love. Gone a little bit smaller and say he loves the world. Then we've gone more specific. He especially loves the church. And then individuals within the church, he's numbered the hairs on the head. And then even further, if you're a Christian... You're only a Christian because the Father chose you. He chose you. you know, no, I chose him. You know, because the, the guy at the front said, if you want to become a Christian, put your hand up. And I did. I chose him. And Jesus says, well, you only did that because the Father chose you. He chose you to choose him. Huh? Yeah, I don't know. But that's how it works. And you might sit there going, oh, has he chosen me then? Well, put it this way. Jesus says, all who are weary... To a room of believers and non-believers, all who are weary and heavy laden and need of rest, come to me. And when you hear the call of God, you've been chosen to respond. How does that work? God chooses, but I can only choose him if he chooses me. And has he chosen me? Well, you've heard the gospel. You've heard the invitation. Come to the Father. And if you feel within your soul a stirring to respond to the gospel, if you sing about the cross and go, I want that for me, then he's chosen you. You can have confidence of that. So all of this might be helpful and hopefully take us on this journey of believing, oh, he does love me. But if I know some of you are very cynical, very skeptical. I know that because you're human and, many of, and you're Western. And so we are like, many of us are Western, of course. Sorry, um, guys from Africa, I shouldn't say that. Um, you have a better rugby team than us, I shouldn't talk anymore. Um, so... But still you might think, oh, yeah, but he just loves us because he's love. He hasn't, he just... Just by default, he loves us. It's not that, I mean, it is exciting and all right. He, he's obligated to love me. You've ever felt like that? He just, he's obligated to love me. <laughs> Let's look at this last verse together because this hopefully puts flight to that fancy. Psalm 113, 115, thank you, um, verse 3. Psalmist says this Our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. By that, he means God only ever does what he wants. <laughs> it's great to be God. You don't ever have to do anything out of obligation. You only ever have to do something that you want to do. And actually, everything that God does pleases him. So he does what he pleases, and everything he does pleases him. You're like, wow, what a God. And then you go, wait a minute. He sent his son to die for me? Yeah, he did that because it pleased him to. He didn't have to. He wasn't obligated to. He did it because it pleased him to. What about Jesus? That doesn't sound very pleasurable for him. (laughs) Well, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So Jesus saw the cross and thought, that looks horrible. But beyond it, there's so much joy. And do you know what that joy was? It was you and me worshipping him, enjoying friendship with him, being forgiven by him, being loved by the Father. 
So hopefully all of these verses kind of stacking up together, we can see that God's character, God's bias, God's special love, God's intimacy, that we're God's chosen, that it's God's will to love us, hopefully helps us go, he does love me. He loves me. He chose me. He likes me. He's for me. He's passionate about me. He, how do I know? He sent his son for me. Jesus says the father himself loves you. Stop acting like he's indifferent towards you or neutral about you. He dances over you. He delights over you. So when good things happen to you in life, they come from the hand of a father who loves you. And when bad things happen to you in life, they don't come from a God who's trying to punish you and ruin your life and hates you. Because the world, we've still got this as our problem, the world is cursed and it's still saying to us, the Father, God doesn't love you, doesn't love you. And when we experience difficulty, we think, he clearly doesn't love me. Despite all those Bible verses, he clearly doesn't love me. But this is where it gets even better than that. Because we don't believe in a God who's Father, Son and Holy Bible. As good as those Bible verses are, God didn't stop there. We believe in the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8, Paul says this, You didn't receive the Spirit when you became a Christian. You received the Holy Spirit, but you didn't receive the spirit of slavery that caused you to fall back into fear. Not fear of snakes and spiders, but fear of God. Okay? When you became a Christian, God put his Spirit in you, and it wasn't a spirit that was scared of God. Instead, you've been given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I love the fact that, that God has always made sure that in our English translations, we've got the word Abba there, because it's different from Father. Jesus introduced to us God who is Father. The Holy Spirit, when he comes to live in you, reveals God as Daddy, as Dad. That's what the word Abba means. It means Dad. I was at um, a family, uh, family member's wedding several years back, a Hebrew wedding. Uh, Amy's side are Jewish, and um, they're from Israel, and they were over for the wedding, and they speak Hebrew. And I just heard him calling to his dad. He's an adult man, and he was calling to his dad across the field. He was saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. Just a term of familiarity, intimacy, endearment. Abba, when you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and he's a spirit who cries out, Dad, Dad, Dad. So you don't have to come to God and be like, Father, hello, Father. Dad, when you pray, you can say, Dad, how do I know? Because he loves you. So what that means is that our third objection, gone. Because although the world might teach you that God hates you, although life might be very hard, you've got the Holy Spirit in you, and he cries out, Dad, no matter what I'm going through, oh, Dad, this really hurts. Or, thank you, Dad, this is really good, but I know you love me. Although I'm a sinner, I come in the name of the Son, I've been forgiven. Although I'm living in a cursed world, you put the Holy Spirit in me. And although I have wrong perceptions of you, you've revealed yourself to me as a Father who loves me. We're going to leave it there, looking at the reality and enjoying the reality that the Holy Spirit is in us. Jesus says in Luke chapter 11 that God is a dad who doesn't give bad gifts to his children. So if, you, if your children comes, came to you and said, can I have a, some bread? You're not going to give them some stone to chew on. Or if he comes to you and says, can I have a, a fish? You're not going to give him a scorpion. And he says in the same way, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So we're going to stand and respond in singing. And we're going to also respond by asking the Holy Spirit 
So just come and fill us afresh. The word for spirit is the same word for wind. And so the picture is that we are like sailboats being propelled across the water. And the Holy Spirit, although he's around us and in us and loves us, we have the, the breath of God on us. There's also times where the, the breath of God blows on us and propels us, gives us boldness and courage. The disciples that Jesus is talking to here, they, they got it, but they didn't really get it. They were still quite cowardly, still quite timid. It wasn't until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in power that they suddenly realized, I don't need to be afraid of anything. My Father's with me and the Spirit's in me. So we're going to respond, worship at God and invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. And you stand to your feet and I'll pray. Father, Dad, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love me. Flawed as I am, needy as I am, full of mistakes, you love me. And we can all stand here today and say that. You love me. You love me. Thank you so much. We just confess to you that we don't always feel like you love us. I don't always feel like you're a warm, loving dad. I often think that you're cold and indifferent. I often act like you couldn't care less about me and about my situations. But today, I choose to believe the truth and I ask you to fill me with your spirit afresh to confirm that truth in me, that I am in fact loved by the Father. 